Chapter Thirteen of Wanted A Husband. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. R. Jacob Remsen, late Rodney Carteret, Esquire of somewhere in England, was roused from his semi-paralysis by a broad and bearded native who approached and, with a friendly grin, inclusive of both parties to the vis-a-vis, inquired. "'Either of you, Miss Cole, for Boulder Brook?' "'Both,' said Darcy. "'Wah!' barked the native. "'That is, we are both going to Mr. Harmon's. "'Free bus to Boulder Brook,' proclaimed the humorous native. "'It's just as well there's two of ye, "'though Mr. Tom didn't say nothing about more than one. "'You won't rattle as much when we hit the rocks.' "'I joined the party at the last moment.' "'explained the impromptu bridegroom. "'I'm for the bungalow. "'You'll be there before you know it. Twenty-one mile in twenty-eight minutes, "'coming over in the old boat.' "'Their cicerone led the way to the old boat, "'a large, battered, comfortably purring car, "'tucked them in with many robes, "'and applied himself to the wheel with an absorption "'which left them free to resume their own concerns.' The surrounding mountains were in full panoply of their blazing October foliage, a scene to enthrall the dullest vision. Notwithstanding, Mr. Remsen's eyes kept straying from those splendors to the face of his companion. Attractive though this nearer view was, his own face wore the expression of one who painfully seeks the answer to an insoluble riddle. The girl answered his look with challenging mockery. "'Don't overheat your poor brain about it,' she implored. "'He called you Miss Cole,' said Remsen, with furrowed brows. "'Why not, since it's my name?' "'Cole! Cole!' ruminated her companion. "'No! Positively no!' "'Positively yes! Do you think it's quite gallant in you to forget me entirely?' First, you say I'm your husband.' complained Remsen, and now you claim acquaintance with me. It isn't fair. It muddles one's brain. Look at me hard. I've been doing that all day. But it doesn't seem to have any result. Haven't you ever seen me before? Certainly. Darcy almost jumped. Which time? I mean, where? on the northeast corner of fifth avenue and fiftieth street at two thirty p m september eleventh returned the other as one who recites a well-conned lesson you were looking up at an aeroplane and ran into me you wore a black and white checkered suit and a most awfully smart little hat and i stood there gawking after you until i was in danger of being arrested for obstructing the traffic why frankly because I hadn't seen anything quite like you since I landed, and I wanted to make the most of a poor opportunity. Then why didn't you lift your hat politely and say, How do you do, Miss Cole, like that? Because, by heavens, cried the badgered Remsen, I don't know any Miss Cole. Think again, adjured Darcy. "'There was a blowy, windy day on a Fifth Avenue coach "'when you got off to help a woman with a suitcase, "'full of burglar's tools or solid gold ingots, I don't know which. "'Never thought a suitcase could weigh so much.' "'Poor Mr. Remsen,' 
laughed the girl, but her eyes were soft as she turned them to him. "'You must have been terribly bored, but you were game. You didn't see me on the coach?' "'I didn't notice anyone but the two working girls with the suitcase. Do you think I could have seen you and forgotten you?' "'Be careful. You're only making it worse. One of the two working girls called after you to thank you, didn't she?' Remsen fell suddenly thoughtful. Now I recall, the voice did seem familiar, but surely. Perhaps this will help. She hummed softly a passage of the lulling, lilting song which she had heard from his lips on that memorable day of her great resolve. Wait, he cried. I'm getting it. Gloria Green's studio. A girl asleep on the divan while I was playing. She corrected a change of chord for me. But you? Never tell me that was you. Darcy Cole at your service. Well, well, but, stammered Remsen, for once in his life wholly confused and bewildered. What were you in disguise for? I wasn't. Then I must have been stone blind that day. You had no eyes at all, for me, said she, demurely. However, that's not to be wondered at. If it were, somebody else would have to do the wondering. My capacity in that direction is totally exhausted. Won't you please explain? With pleasure. If you'll tell me what. Miss Cole was enjoying herself greatly. What this transformation scene means. At the studio, you were, well, say it, she encouraged. I was an ugly little toad. Remsen made gestures and gurgles of violent protest. Not at all. But you were, well, quite different. Yes, I wasn't very well, nor very happy. "'Judging from appearances, you must be about the healthiest and happiest person in the world today, then,' he retorted. "'Do you know,' she reproved, "'that your compliments lack subtlety?' "'That's easy, because I mean em. The native at the wheel made a quarter turn with his head, extended his mouth to a point east by north of his right ear, and from the corner of it shouted, "'Set tight!' Here's where she gets kinder streaky. Thereupon, as at a signal call, the car gathered itself together and proceeded to emulate the chamois of the Alps. For several frantic leaps and jounces, the couple in the back seat preserved the conventionalities. Then came a stretch where an ancient, hump-backed vein of granite had thrust itself up through the road surface and all decorum was flung to the winds. Miss Cole crossed the car in two bunny jumps and fell upon Mr. Remsen's neck, thrusting his head against the side curtain with such force as to form a bulge, which several outreaching trees playfully poked with their branches. As further evidence of her affection, she stuck her elbow in his eye, after which she coyly retreated into her own corner by the aerial route. Mr. Remsen assisted her flight by a method known in football as giving the shoulder. He then rose to explain, settled squarely upon both her feet, and concluded the performance by seating himself on her knees and browsing a mouthful from the veil which was twisted about her hat. 
taking advantage of a precious but fleeting moment when the car soared like a gull across a bay of mud, they both addressed a chauffeur. "'Stop!' shrieked Miss Cole. "'Schlumpf!' vociferated Mr. Remsen, meaning the same thing. But the veil had become involved with his utterance. The native brought his boat to a halt, just short of a ghastly blind turn, screened by a wooded cliff. "'Smatter!' he inquired. "'You're shaking us to bits,' protested Darcy. "'Please don't go so fast.' "'Shucks!' said the other. "'Call that fast? I could do better with a hearse.' "'Very likely,' returned Remsen. "'The passenger in a hearse hasn't anything to say about how he travels. We have. Ease it up.' What retort the native might have found— was cut off by a persistent trumpeting from around the curve. Honk, honk, purr, honk, 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 purr, purr. Two cars, interrupted the native. Bellerin' for help, I wouldn't wonder. Probably bogged down in that mud waller at the foot of the hill. One of them sounds like our truck. Again, the brazen voice of warning and appeal thrilled through the air. "'Tis our truck,' confirmed the chauffeur. "'I know the old cow's voice. "'I presume that couple for the boss's cottage "'is getting a taste of real country life in the rodent line.' "'What couple?' asked Darcy, sitting up. "'Young married pair. Got off the train at Meredith.' "'At Meredith?' repeated Darcy in troubled tones. "'There's another couple due from Ashland for the island. "'All friends of the boss's.' "'Likes not, that's the other car that's whooping it up down there at the foot of the hill. "'Quite a party.' "'The gleam of a horrid surmise shone in the look which Darcy turned upon Remsen. "'Do you suppose it could be they? Oh, it couldn't!' "'I'm very much afraid it is.' "'Oh, that would be too awful. Don't let it be Maud and Helen.' "'If I could help it, I would,' he replied, bracing himself for confession. I'm sure it is your friends. In fact, Tom Harmon told me they were coming. You knew it all the time? I did. And let me come here without a word of warning? The girl's tone rasped Remsen's accusing conscience. She spoke like a hurt child whose trust had been betrayed. Remsen waited until the chauffeur who had jumped out and was on his way to the scene of distress, was beyond hearing. Then he said, "'Please don't think me wholly selfish, but how was I to know that the presence of other couples—I mean, other people—would be so distressing to you?' "'Don't pretend to be stupid,' she rebuked him. "'There I was, a bride without any bridegroom, looking for a place to hide myself, "'and you let me run right into the very people of all in the world that I didn't want to see. "'You knew I didn't want to see them. I told you so.' "'She ended with a suggestion of fearfulness. "'The first thing on the train, before you had a husband,' he reminded her. Now you have one, and that makes it worse, a thousand times worse. Oh, why didn't you tell me on the train? Suppose I had. What would you have done? Got off at the next station, jumped out of the window, anything. 
"'And have been all alone in some strange place with nobody to look after you. "'If you'd done that, I should have felt obligated to get off, too.' "'You wouldn't!' Darcy stamped her foot. "'You haven't any right. "'When a lady puts a claim on a gentleman as her husband,' remonstrated Remsen mildly, "'while he may not have the right to prevent her from jumping out of the window of a moving train, "'at least he may use all fair means to see her through. "'Do you think you've been fair in this?' "'Comrade, I surrender. I don't. "'The plain fact is, I knew you'd run away if I told you, "'and I couldn't bear to lose you after I'd miraculously found you again. "'Consequently,' she accused. I am here where the girls are sure to find me, married and without a husband, or with a husband that they'll discover is bogus. What am I going to do? List to an inspired idea. I've just thought it out. When you see your friends, tell them that I didn't get off the train at all. I went right on to Montreal. And deserted your bride? Emergency call on imperative official business. Back tomorrow or next day or whenever you choose to tell them. That'll give you time to arrange things and fix up a good, watertight lie. No lie could be good enough. Wait till we put our heads together over it. How can we put our heads together if your head is in Montreal? It won't be, except for publication to the bridal party. It'll be at the bungalow. I'm going to carry it there now, on foot. "'And stay there until it's time for you to get back from Montreal?' "'Precisely. "'When you need your titled Britisher back, I'll be ready, "'with the accent and the infernal scratchy whiskers. "'Suppose, meantime, the bridal couples come wandering about the bungalow. "'Then I'll take to the woods, lives of the hunted and all that sort of thing. Before I'm through with all this, I may have to disguise myself as a rabbit and learn to twitch my ears. It's fearfully risky, began the girl. It is, he confirmed, with the woods full of amateur hunters. But I've known rabbits to live to a ripe old age. There was an old cottontail on Uncle Simeon's place. Please don't joke. It's fearfully serious for me. I've got to go ahead and face the girls. Say the word, and I'll gird my gospel armor on, I mean, my sideburns, and support you. Yes, and what would our frisky chauffeur think of that? Gracious goodness, I forgot about him. What will he think about your disappearance, if you run away now? Leave him to me. I've got an argument for him. The native reappeared with the information that the truck was bemired and that the garage car in which one couple had arrived from Ashland, the motorboat having broken down, was unable to pull it out unaided. Therefore, he told them, he would have to go to the rescue with his car. Mr. Rimson produced a roll of greenbacks. "'Have you any aversion to a ten-dollar bill?' he inquired. "'I ain't never knowed one to make me sick to my stomach yet.' confessed the native. "'Try this one,' said Remsen. But the speeder withheld his hand. "'What am I being hired for?' "'To tell me a shortcut by foot to the bungalow. "'Over this hill and you can see it. Only house in sight. 
"'What else? To forget that you've seen me.' "'Nothing fishy about this?' inquired the cautious chauffeur. "'It's just a little joke on the people in front.' "'My memory,' said the other, pocketing the bill, "'ain't what it was. I can't barely recollect say thank ye, but my power gives out. Someone coming around the bend,' he added. Rimson made a dive into the underbrush. From somewhere above Darcy, a moment later, a tree found voice to speak like a dryad. "'I'll be at your call tomorrow.' At the elbow of the road appeared Maud and Halcombe Lee. Darcy, envying Daniel what had been regarded as one of the most trying experiences in the records of animal training, walked forward to meet them. Her head was high— her chin was firm, her step was light, her eyes danced with defiance. Andy Dunn would have been proud of her. She was game. End of chapter 13